Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. It's running Motorsport Magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, everybody, and welcome to. Sorry, I turned my headphones up a bit there, so I can actually hear myself speaking. Uh, it is Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 12, and it's a little after 8 o'clock in the evening. Little stutter to the start of our show tonight, just proving once again that we are actually live, not a pre recorded podcast. This is live broadcast, and on a past programme tonight, Tim. Tim Gray, our executive producer up in London. We have what? Well, you know what they say, it's always better live. It's always better live, yes. You're a bit quiet. <laughs> you <laughs> spent all yourself. afternoon telling me I was too loud. Get closer to the mic now, or it's, at least turn, turn the bed down. down. My throat. Uh, <laughs> we have <laughs> We have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, want to hear. In particular, some Formula One news. Uh, we've got yep. a big interview. We've got a smaller interview, although that's with two people, so maybe it's bigger. Uh, and uh, lots of the usual features. And lots of news as lots well tonight. News. Very newsy tonight. Very newsy. Uh, if, if the gods of technology live with us tonight, and we are stretching just a little bit, um, we've got Stuart Cox from Algar Pro Racing. He'll be talking to us about the ELMS and about a very interesting drive fast, act faster initiative uh, for, um, shall we call it environmental responsibility? I think we shall. That'll be our big interview tonight. Uh, And hello, Stuart, and to Samantha. Uh, We have got news, and I know... You will love this, Tim. On a European Junior Formula Championship tonight with Pinnacle and Alex Dunn. And again, with a bit of luck, we'll have those guys on uh, as well tonight. Uh, we have Shea Adam talking a bit of IMSA because we had the Mobile 112 Hours of Sebring presented by Advanced Auto Parts at the weekend. So we'll be talking about that a wee bit as well. Uh, and and your, your influence editorially, possibly just questions and points arising, on Ad Specutainment. Uh, hello to the Sim Racing Bar Steward listening live tonight while testing a brilliant Tyrrell uh, 020 mod for Assetto Corsa. Got to love the brawn livery. A lot of people doing a lot of sim racing, and we have some sim racing this weekend. I'm sure we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, Brody, 
have you come out of the post Sebring 12 hours dark and room yet? He said, have you finished welding up the Porsche 944 yet? That's the question, bro. He's been doing that for the last two or three weeks on on the belt, to be honest. Um, I got so involved with the Mobile One 12 hours of Sebring at the weekend that I didn't move. And uh, I think it was about, probably about close to 14 hours that I was uh, broadcasting, of which at least a good 13 and a bit was standing up because it was so exciting. Fantastic. And if you haven't heard it, um, then you can go back and listen to it. Again, Blur Fiend will catch up on the podcast, also mending Porsches uh, at the moment. Uh Excellent commentary from IMSA Radio at the weekend. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say, say so. The Colonel has said, cracking coverage of breathless Sebring 12 hours as usual. Um, but I have to mention Shane Van Gisbergen for an extraordinary performance over the weekend with a broken collarbone and three broken ribs, ribs at Sandown. Yes, absolutely. That was very good. Hello, Jack Martin. Looking forward to the show and... Uh, Thoughts going out to all the recent floods across the eastern part of Australia. It's been awful there. One of our favourite parts of the world. And absolutely correct there, Jack. Do you see that picture um, with all the spiders? Uh, I don't do spiders. Spiders scare You're probably best keep away from New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Alcock, I hope everybody is well and recovered from the Sebring 12 hours. Uh, joining you for Midweek Motorsport. Thank you. For the weekend's coverage, it felt like COVID didn't exist. Do you know what, Dave? It's funny you should say that. But doing races on the weekends they're meant to be on and feeling a part of an event and seeing spectators there, I know what you mean. There was a, a, an amount of normality that was lovely, wasn't it, about, about that. Um, hello to Kevin Payne, who's listening live tonight, to Alexander Orkin. No AFAs, says Alex. Uh, it's a pork tray bake tonight. Attempting to multitask in the office during the show. Alex, thank you for joining us. Chris Suku, uh, still at work listening in, travelling back home during the show. Ooh, now, see, we're, we're stretching the technology, so is Chris, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> McCarthy, tuning in live. I hope the mental return from Florida has been less taxing than a physical one. Good evening. Ian, do you know what? It was four o'clock in the morning UK time when we signed off after Michelin Post Race Tech. And of course you can't go to bed straight away, so you chill out a bit. And on Sunday didn't exist for me. I was completely blown away. But just as if I'd been on a plane, it was the day after the travel day. That really did me in. So late Monday and a bit on Tuesday, I didn't know where I was. I had race lag. It wasn't jet lag, it was race lag. Now, Thank you, Ian. John, I haven't for, listened uh, to uh, post-race tech from Sebring, but yeah. the race finished at uh, ten past one UK time. So was it really two and a half hours long? Uh, was it finished at four? Maybe up. Was just sitting maybe up that long. Yeah, I may have been just sitting up a long time afterwards and catching up on stuff, yes. Um, Kevin Payne, thank you for listening tonight. Hello to Mark Bowley. Um, 
EF is, as usual, he says, but can't believe the sad news keeps rolling in. Please say a fitting goodbye to Johnny Dumfries. Um, and, yeah, we will. It'll be um, Pitley and Andy, which is Andy Marriott, who'll join us for that in a wee while. Ted the Toyman, I've woken up in time, so listening live before, dear like saving ends in a few weeks, uh, and I'm then back on the download. He's in Australia at the moment. Hello to Chris Wheel, to Mark Borley, to Right Turn Lover, who's tuned in tonight uh, as well, to Patrick Drone, who's listening, to Jonathan Mayen, who's listening live, to Dave Monks, listening while... Um, repairing the cold start mechanism on his Webers of an absolutely extraordinarily mouth-wateringly, heart-achingly beautiful BMW. Now, I'm going to say, Dave, that that's a 16 or 2, but it could be a 2002 as well. I apologise if I got it wrong, but Dave, it's beautiful. I love it. I love it. Davey 2 Bruce, uh, tuning in Live tonight, James Counter tuning in for the first time this year. Only take me three months. Theme of his presentation is the same all the way through. Yes, don't get distracted and start typing things you're listening. I've done that before as well. The Rain Line is tuning in live after finishing some work from home and grabbing a beer. Grab your adult beverage, whatever beverage you want. Jill's out your bridge coming through my mixer desk desk at work tonight. Excellent. Hello, Carol Brink. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And Tim has shuffled his papers. Keep coming uh, with those tweets at Spectatainment. What's the top story tonight, Tim? Uh, we've got to start with Formula One tonight because we're just days away from the Bahrain Grand Prix and that means we need our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Stop, wait. It was his birthday yesterday, so happy birthday to Nick, happy birthday to Nick, happy birthday to Nick, happy birthday to Nick. Hooray! That was my, uh, that was my tribute to you doing a bit of singing. Oh, thank you, fantastic. You, you managed to miss as many notes as I do. Yeah, uh, no, it's true. All the right notes, just not in the right order. Uh, we should say, by the way, tonight we've got Marco Bonanomi as a long one, and uh, Nick is staying on to be joined by Declan Brennan for our MotoGP preview as well tonight. So it's a very long shift for us all. Cup of but coffee in between, though. Do you know what? I've just been brought a cup of coffee by my good lady. So well there we are. Uh, where would you like to go first, Tim? Uh, there's been quite a lot of Formula One job news this week. Yes. Which bit do you want to talk about? Uh, well, firstly, we're going to talk about Francois Xavier de Maison. Oh, man, we oui. Francois Xavier in my house, de Maison. <laughs> in my house, yes. Of my house. Uh, yes. He's of new, of um, my house, yes. Uh, what is he going to be? He's a new team technical director, yes, because team principal is Simon Thingy Of he's what? New... Of which? Of which? Oh, sorry, of Williams. It's right. Yost. Capito is uh, in there. Capito, his, yes, uh, well done. Making his uh, announcements and, his, and bringing the team, and, and he, you may not know him by name, but he is the guy, John, who worked on the Volkswagen ID4 car, which went up, uh, not the ID4, the ID special car, which went up Pike's Peak and won. The the uh, which was of course Romain Dumas with I the dot then uh, Norma now Duquesne chassis, and uh, absolutely blitzed. 
the overall record on the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. I was there. I saw it. It's extraordinary. And that was a that was a really interesting project because they pulled together elements from so many different places. Part of it driven by Roman, in, in point of fact, and he's going to be back there this year, of course, driving for champion in an uh, RS3, RS2, sorry, um, or GT2 RS, I should say, Porsche 911, which champion are going to uh, breathe on. But but even so, extraordinary project. So he knows how to pull disparate strands together, Nick. Yeah, he's also got he's got a more of a rallying background than a an, an F1 background. He has done F1 Four in the past. World titles in uh, working World for... Rally, Nick. Yes, well, you know, obviously I knew that off, off, off the top of my head, of course, as I'm so au fait with the world titles of, um, of the Volkswagen and Polo. And I went, OK, that's good when I read it. Uh, no, but hang on, though. That means he must have worked with Jost in the past. Jost uh, was Ford, wasn't he? Uh, and then Volkswagen. Oh, I see. Again, it's, it's rallying. <laughs> what years was he at, at VW? Well, he's only just left. Uh, but he won the World Rally Championship with them in 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. Is that just before or at the time of Jost? I would need to look that up. But Jost, of course, won championships at uh, at VAG as well. So that's very interesting. Before that, so Jost... he was chief engineer at Subaru. Ooh, so he does no rallying then. And he also built mm. two in Cars Peugeot. So at some point he might, he, 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 yeah, he now he's now decided to do F1, and he's got to work out how to get these these things to work, you know, when they're not you know, eight, eight, nine inches off the ground and uh, with knobbly tyres. And if it's bad weather, he'll be fine. Absolutely. Where's you know, they say what's why is that car so odd? It's because it's got the snow tyres on. Jos uh, Capito joined Volkswagen in 2012, and in his time there, they dominated the WRC with a hat-trick of Drivers' and Constructors' Championship. So, right there. So, that's how he knows him. Yeah. It is mate. But, but you know what? I don't have a problem with that, because if you know you can build a personal relationship with someone, Nick, then the skills can be transferred to the new organisation. And, and we all know... We work in broadcasting, but it's no different in a race team. We've, the we've got personal... a great example of that, uh, John, of course, in that we get Nick Damon to talk about MotoGP, even though well... <laughs> we know that his area of special, specialism is Formula One. Nah, but he loves he loves MotoGP. He loves, but but it's about the personal relationships, Nick. So much of what goes on in a race team or an organisation, any business actually. And racing's a business, Formula One's a business, and a Formula One team is absolutely a business. It's about having somebody in key jobs that you absolutely trust. And Andrea Seidel has done it at, at McLaren. We've seen people do it in the past. You know, when the last time Ferrari had had uh, success, what happened there? John Barnard moved all the design to to the UK out of out of Italy because he, he, he brought it into a an environment that he felt comfortable with, with people who he felt comfortable with. This is really important. This is personal, personal responsibility and personal um, contact, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the thing to remember is the technical director outside of Red Bull isn't the person, isn't drawing the car. Um, it's more about trying to manage the 
multiple threads of development, um, engineering, aero, and everything else, um, and bring them all together. So that, and if you there have a very good working relationship with the senior management, it means you've got a, a, a shorthand for communications, and you can start to put together a, an overall plan about how you want to go about designing the car. It's not actually what you're going to design, it's how you're going to make the most efficient process to build the best car. It's not the Tip. only bit of job news. Oh, right. Uh, George Russell has been named a director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Yeah, this is the interesting. Of Roman Grosjean. Yeah, Grosjean's off to IndyCar. So George Russell, uh, head of the GPDA, not the most experienced not driver. Head of, by just a director of. Alex Wills uh, is the uh, head of it. Who's the head of it then? Still? Alex Wills. Alex. Ah, right. Okay. No, all right. That that makes that makes per- perfect sense. But but so he re- replaces Roman effectively, does yes. he? Right. Okay. There were two active drivers on the board, and uh, Sebastian Vettel. Who's the other one? Sebastian Vettel's the other one. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting because you've got an experienced driver and a young driver, and you've got someone who's not a driver in in Verzi. Um I'm not going to second guess the experience of of averts at all because he he's one of my favorite people i love talking to him um we always have a bit of sparring when we talk to each other as you can hear on the uh the prototype panel but he genuinely genuinely loves the sport and he's got a consultancy that uh designs racetracks and looks after safety and stuff like that i'm not gonna argue with that at all uh, I think that's not a bad. To be fair, I think that's not a bad appointment, Nick, because you've got somebody from the the younger side of what's going on. Yeah, I think it's more indicative of the of the role that that George is prepared to take. He's he's, he's effectively taking a, a, a an elder statesman role, despite being a much younger driver. Now, obviously, a lot of them can't be bothered to do anything extracurricular. You know, I'm sure that Kimmy would rather have it go and do nothing. What would he do? Um, and, and nothing else. But I mean, I think yeah. Of course, George is famed for his powerpoints. Uh, that's how he apparently got the job uh, with the uh, with Mercedes <laughs> really? in the first place. So he is that can. True? Uh, yeah, yeah. He did a powerpoint presentation about why you should hire me to Mercedes. Um, it's called a deck anyway. now, by the way. It's not called a powerpoint. You are so not with the kids. I, I trust me. I have seen so many decks, and death by PowerPoint was a large part of my life many years ago. Um, but yeah, so it's. Yeah, I think it's. It's more like oh, he's, yeah, more indicative of his 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 character. You know, he's not necessarily going to be a jokey twitcher. He's going to actually, um, you know, try and improve things in his spare time. They've also appointed a non-driver to the uh, board for the first time. Who's that, Nick? Of the of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Yes. Right. Mm. Uh, you're going to have to help me out this one because I didn't. I didn't. It's not that me. Bit. It's not. It? It's, Should be because no. apparently you are a driver. Anastasia Foul. Also not a driver. Correct. Also, who is she? Is she, the, he, she. She is the first non-driver representative of the GPDA, and she is its long-time uh, legal counsel. Ah, oh, oh, okay. No, see now I see that as well. I actually see that as well. That's not a daft thing to do. All right. Yeah. And Roman Grosjean, although he's no longer a director, is still an advisor to the GPDA. Well, he knows a lot. He knows a lot about accidents, so he yeah, he does. I suspect that's why. He's got another job, though, hasn't he? He's uh, an esports job, isn't it? 
Yes, with Haas. Teamed up with the Haas team, yes. Even though they wouldn't sponsor him, because he's brilliant. Gene Haas says, I'm not going to sponsor you this year in IndyCar uh, because I'm worried about your safety or I, I don't want to spend any money, but I found an excuse to get out of it. He's also known. <laughs> um, uh, but Nick, now that... you are particularly punchy tonight. I hope that doesn't my, carry my on role, I, to our MotoGP. Well, no, it might do. Uh, my role, I do believe, is, is to cut through some of the BS that comes out and let's, let's have some of the underlying things. So, you know, and but they are prepared to do that it's going to cost them no money, which is tie up with him for his, his esports team. Okay. I mean, what they'll basically do is you'll have the Wait. car painted in Haas colours with a massive for sale sign down the side because it's that's what it hurt. is. It's for sale. Unless he falls off his, his rig, he's not going to hurt himself. So that's consistent with yeah, Gene Haas. If you've got a very strong direct drive wheel, you can get a nasty bit of whiplash <laughs> in your wrist. Oh, Nick. Nick. <laughs> whiplash. Uh, I let saw me... someone uh, this week who has uh, put a handbrake on his rig and is now doing... Uh, Rally simulations. Yeah, not that. Mm, I do like handbrakes. I do like handbrakes. I like uh, H pattern gear shifts, and I like three pe- pedal pedal boxes on on sims. Well, three pedal pedal boxes. Yes, absolutely. Because you need to get your your, your clutch based cars off the line, but after that, you don't need them. Okay. Uh, hello, to Serafina, who is uh, joining us. Almost forgot. Almost forgot. <laughs> Yes, but is in, which is good, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, almost forgetting the remembering is okay. No, no, almost is the same as remembering, isn't it? Let's be <laughs> honest. Hello, Dave Monks. Hello, Sarah Rigby, who's just got home tonight. What a cracking 12 hours of Sebring. Very tense finish. Thanks for the coverage. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you for your service, because I know you work in the... If those that don't know, Sarah works in the health industry here in the the UK. Uh, hello to uh, everyone who's listening and it's at Specutainment. Continue with F1 News, Tim. quarter of a century ago, McLaren signed a small child and uh, this week they've done it again. Yes, they have. Though I'm not sure if he's quite so small. He's two years um, older than Lewis was, yes. Exactly, yes. yes. Good point. Now, he, they've signed an American carter, and I, his name is, and I'm going to go for this, Ugo, Ugo Chugaka. Ugo, anyway. So we, we're here, we, forever known as Ugo. It's just going to be UU, isn't it? Yeah. He's so the Ugo, uh, main FIA European karting champion. European yes, karting champion? So he has... Yeah, he's come over, yeah. Right. So how old is he? 13. Uh, he's 13. He's a, a, a resident of New York, and he has a Nigerian um, heritage mother. So he's, yep. So he's going to be, he won the FIA OK Junior European Championship, and he now has Zach Brown financing him for the next few years. Ah, so he, Zach, Zach in the, uh, in, the mode. in the role of Ron Dennis then? Yes, he's going to have to go some to emulate Ron Dennis, but he's a good start. Andreas Seidel said, uh, Ugo is a promising young talent with strong development prospects. While he's still early in his career, it's clear he has the ingredients to, to be successful in the sport. Uh, Ugo said... Well, wouldn't uh, you a European car championship would say that? Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Ugo said, I'm honoured to be signed by such an iconic team as McLaren Racing so early in my career. Ever since... I, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have said it, even if it wasn't true. Who Ever does, since. Uh, who does Daniel Ricciardo think need to spend more time sunbathing? 
Oh, oh, I know. I know. Go on, Go on. This is all about the new Drive to Survive. Um, oh, is. God. Oh, right, yes. Pretend no, I documentary. Exactly what, sorry, I know exactly what you mean then. Sorry. Yes. I yeah. have seen it. Yeah, and this seen is that about was... somebody's bottom. This is, Valtteri, this is Valtteri Bottas. Bot, bot. Valtteri Bot, bot. The, Valtteri Bot, arse. Uh, yes. And, and it, it was a bit white, apparently. Is that well, right? Well, yeah, they went to go and visit Valtteri uh, during his pre-season before last season and they visited him in Finland and he was with his um, personal trainer come manager and, and they're finished so what do Finnish people do to relax they go in the sauna mm-hmm. and, and do, Dex and what will tell Finnish us people what they do in the sauna what do they wear in the sauna they wear nothing mm. so they were both you know naked in the sauna and, and and whilst it was there was some modesty in there we did get a a, a full back frontal if that makes sense of uh, young Mr Bottas can I just say that it wasn't the burnished copper that no. we have seen in various Hollywood movies from Hollywood movie stars. Mm-mm. He didn't. Have, well, I don't think. I don't think he had. A, I don't think he had an arse double. That's why I think it just was, actually was his. <laughs> an, an arse double. That is yeah. fantastically brilliant. Obviously, we have to remember that because something um, you're, you're, the responsible adult loves is an arse double, especially especially at the Emirates. Uh, I'm not even. I'm not even going to. <laughs> explain what that was about because I actually yeah, rolling in an Eric Morgan gag joke. okay that's oh uh, yeah alright yes football yeah okay let, let's move uh, move away from uh, Valtteri's bottom but no it was, yeah Valtteri's bottom yes um, Valtteri's and, bottom and uh, do you think they'll change it? his three letter no, identifier we're moving on right. John <laughs> <laughs> sorry Nick, sorry which driver's been yeah. showing us his pink helmet this week no, oh, stop! That's what the uh, young Mr. Sebastian Vettel. Is he young? He's over 30 now. Well, you know, it's young to me. Uh, after another birthday. I mean, the thing about Sebastian is, you know, he's always been Mr. King of the um, the tradition and, and, you know, records. And in the end, he decided that he doesn't need to have the German flag because he likes cash. And so he's got the uh, the magnesium water people who sponsor way too much the amount of money the company makes, but I'll just leave that there, uh, sponsoring their helmet. Who's going to struggle in F1 this year, according to Bernie Eccleston? Well, I don't know. The answer to that question is Haas, but is that what he said? No, everybody. the driver he's looking for. All right. Um, oh, all right. <laughs> everybody, because I'm not involved anymore. Um... It won't be Lewis. Uh, so... Nick was very close. With Haas? Schumacher. Schumacher is correct, yes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay, yes. you had to give us a, a hint, but that's fine. Who's fine. going to struggle okay. in Formula well, 1 this year, according to Nico Rosberg? Uh, is, it, is it Mick Schumacher? It is Mick Schumacher, yes. <laughs> and finally... Uh, is, are, they, are we going <laughs> And finally, in the who's going to struggle in F1 this year... Segment. Not at all. Who is better than Hamilton, Verstappen, and Vettel? Is it Mick Schumacher? No, it's not. Obviously, in but yeah. what though? In it's what? Alonso. In it's Alonso, isn't it's it? It's Fernando Alonso. Yes. Yeah, right. but that's only in his own opinion. Yes, which he that's expressed earlier today. That's Fernando saying in an interview, "I'm better than everybody else." Yes, but if he didn't say that, then you would go. Oh, then the, the headline would be. Fernando admits defeat before first wheel is turned. Yes, but I, yeah, I, no, you you make a valid point, but we're all sitting there going, all right, Fernando, 
Um, for, you know, he. Let's be honest about that. There's, I, I think he is very good, and he, he will be go down as one of the greats. He's a great driver. He's just a terrible, a terrible politician. If he'd picked better, he would have had far more than two world championships. Yeah, is no. what it comes down to. If he'd be more politically uh, adept. He'd have won the 2008, possibly the 2007 World Championship at McLaren, and who knows what would have happened after that. That's a mental thing, though, wasn't it? That was a mental... Uh, it, it's, it's, but also, it's also about... It's like being in the schoolyard and playing pick-up football or basketball or anything. You have to pick the right people around you, and he's not good at that. He hasn't been. Um, he's back with his, 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 his backstop team, where he goes and everything goes slightly wrong. Um in another name. Um, yeah, we see what he does. I mean, I think, you know, it, it'd be really interesting to see how this goes. He's got a lot of, a lot of weight on his mind. He'd be expected to, to hit the ground running this weekend. Um, yeah. Oh yes, that's this weekend. Certainly is. Uh, and we'll don't forget, if you haven't listened to Sam Collins from F1 TV, the technical correspondent and Nick Damon, um, falling out over the carbon bits. They agree the... far too much for my liking. Oh, do they? oh right, okay. Uh, it's available on uh, our archive uh, at radio-show.co.uk. Everything you need to know about Formula One is encapsulated in that show, because there's, as as Nick said, there's there's very little spin in that, and <laughs> there's a lot of sensible chat, and between Sam and Nick, Sam on the technical side, and Nick on the person side, I. I I'm pretty certain they'll get most things right. A lot more, a lot more crossover between them this year as well. Oh, ah, okay. Uh, Sam, Sam well, mentioned drivers occasionally. He shouldn't do that. Nick certainly it, it, got a little bit technical. Every now and again, I, I just get out of my box. It's right. But yeah, so the, the big question is, you know, for this weekend, it's still. I, I still think Red Bull are going to win this weekend. Um, and it would be just to see how far ahead they are of, of Mercedes and whether Mercedes can keep the... Uh, have sought their stability problems out. I, I wasn't involved in that you again weren't. this year. And Joe Bradley actually sent me a note after listening to it live and said, why didn't you shout for me this year? And I said, oh, no, you're doing me, mate. However, it's still Mercedes. It's still Lewis Hamilton. That's that's my pick but for this year. But what this weekend? Uh, not but for the championship. Yeah, yeah, but that's a 23, well, theoretically 23 race series, isn't it? With much developing and much twisting and turning. Like if, I'm, turn. if I'm very honest, I don't think Mercedes are in the hole that everybody thinks they're in. Well, that's no, because they're, they're not, not in the massive this weekend. Hole. I still don't think they're in the hole that everybody thinks they're in. And it would not surprise me for one second if they did win this weekend. It would not be out of the box bonkers. Oh my goodness! Oh, this is a shock! Drama! 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 Mercedes win! Wouldn't be a no, shock, it no. wouldn't be. No, no. All, all it needs is for Verstappen to crash. I'm not even sure it needs that, to be honest. Or have a well, overly long pit stop or something else that's out of his control. Miss a breaking point. Something to do that. Send a text anyway. at the wrong time. Well, yeah, anyway, moving on. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 16, Episode 12. Hello, if you've just joined us. The first half hour has disappeared very quickly. Uh, Tim, where would you like to go next? Uh, I'd like to talk about tomorrow because uh, 8 Ooh. o'clock tomorrow is a simcast. And at 9 o'clock, it's another edition of On the Grid. And here's Richard Crell to tell us what to expect. 
This week on The Grid, your Aussie look at motorsport. It was a massive weekend at the Sandown Supercars. Top-level motorsport returning to Melbourne after 53 weeks away. We've got two of the stars from the weekend on the show. S5000 leader Joey Mawson is first up to discuss his return to racing down under and how much he's loving big banger V8-powered wings and slicks race cars. And Erebus star Brody Kostecki is on the show to reflect on his incredible podium finish in the sodden conditions on Sunday. It's On The Grid, your Aussie look at the world of motorsport, 9pm Thursday night UK time on RS1. Once again, it's some sad news that has reached us this week on Midweek Motorsports, that of the death of Johnny Dumfries, the Marquis of Butte. Uh, Andrew Marriott is joining us now. Uh, we're not often talking about a uh, member of the royal family as uh, as far as motor racing is concerned, but the, undoubtedly Johnny Dumfries, as most people will remember him, was absolutely steeped in motorsport from his early years. Yeah, I'm absolutely shocked and, and stunned by this news. Johnny was well, just coming up to 63, he was 62 years old. Um, the family statement said that he died of cancer. Uh, nobody knew about this. It's a complete shock. Even his best mate, Dave Price, who he won the Formula 3 championship with and, and did many racing things with, Johnny uh, never told him. Didn't tell him he was ill even. Um, so it comes as a, a massive shock. And, uh, you know, very interesting, complex character. Quite a private person. Mm. Best known, of course, uh, John for winning Le Mans in 1988. We'll go into that. He won a couple of other sports car races. Of course, he was Senna's teammate at uh, Lotus and uh, was also, and people forget this, one year he was a test driver for Ferrari Formula One when they were developing an alternative engine. So lots of things in his career. Uh, and later on went on one year. I helped him run the, Mo- the Mount Stewart Motorsport Classic. Reasons that that didn't carry on, but it was a great event. Yes, I and, remember that. Um, when did you first meet him, Andrew? Was it in motorsport? Uh, yeah, I knew Charlie Crichton Stewart really well because we worked with Williams. Charlie, of course, worked with Williams, and he was his cousin. And uh, they were pretty matey, and they looked very similar, actually. Charlie Crichton Stewart had been a very successful Formula 3 driver in his time. And so that's how I met him. Johnny was racing in Formula Ford, paying for it by uh, painting and decorating. You've got to remember that uh, Johnny uh, Dumfries is going to leave something like £25 million. Pounds. I mean, he's, he was a rich guy, but in then he wasn't. Um, and his father didn't like him racing. Didn't, you know, he went to a very smart public school um, and uh, didn't carry on to university. He just uh, came down to London. And, you know, people say he's a Scot, but actually he was more a Londoner, really. And a lot of people think he spent all his time in Mount Stewart up in the Isle of Butte. Well, actually, he had a very nice, uh, a very nice house in Battersea, and uh, they lived there a lot of the time with Serena. But yes, I first met him through Formula Four, and then in Formula Three, you know, he was signed by uh, BP by Les Thacker at BP mm. to run for Dave Price, and what a season he had! Fourteen wins, and. Uh, uh, together with a guy called Alan Moore, we made a, a film about that campaign. Um, so obviously I got to know him really well in that. Um, very much an understated character. Uh, so good in Formula 3. And Dave Price said he was the best uh, man he ever had racing for him in, in Formula 3. And uh, he was he was a big left foot breaker. And this was before many people left foot break. So he had a, Very unusual in those days. Yeah, yes. it was. It was. So, you know, he had a very good technique for... For, for F3. And then, of course, the following year, he went into Formula 2 
and that that just didn't work. And then then of course we we can talk about the Formula One uh, season with Lotus. But even then, John, you know, back in his Formula Three days, he he started in sports car racing as well. Yeah, he had a race for for Richard Lloyd, and then he drove for the Rothmans Porsche team actually um, at the end of 1984 after he'd won his championship. Did, didn't he race for Kuros at one stage as well? Ah, uh, yeah, that was a bit. Yes, he did race uh, the Kuros. That was his first Le Mans uh, in '87. And uh, he raced with Chip Ganassi, actually, and, yes. and Mike, Mike Thackwell, and they did retire. But that was his first Le Mans. And then, of course, the second one, <laughs> he won the famous victory where Lammers nursed the car to the end with a gearbox uh, in pieces mm. and bits of bits of metal flying around. Uh, also with uh, Andy Wallace in that car. And that was, was a great victory, John, because you remember Porsche had won that race for seven years in a row and the other two silk cars had failed. And so they stopped that long run, and uh, it was a terrific victory. Um, actually, one of only three sports car victories that uh, Johnny had because he won at Spa and he had a had a race win actually uh, with with Dyson at Elkhart Lake uh, back in '87. So, how good was he as a driver? You said in '84, absolutely dominated British F3, yeah. and British F3 then is what the European F3 or you know almost like a world f3 championship you had to have that on your your cv stepped up in the, the european formula three uh championship uh well, oh, so sorry he, in year. the same year he, he yeah, was in I, there and he finished he, i think he, it was ivan capelli wasn't it that won that and and then yeah. he went to the 3000 championship which was yeah. was fairly new in in those days uh and raced for a couple of teams on onyx and and and, and lola and he, he didn't really didn't really get the breaks that year no, well, I think it was it was a bit of a mixed up year because he was also doing that Ferrari testing with that that funny four cylinder Formula One engine they were trying to develop. So uh, I think that messed him about a bit. And Johnny, you know, had to be right in the head to go quickly. And I think having come off the back of dominating Formula Three, probably not getting in the right Formula Three thousand car, although Mike Earl runs a very good team. Um, I think it knocked his confidence. And then, of course, we have the situation where. Ayrton Senna, I was right in the middle of this, by the way, um, operating for John Player, running the publicity machine. Um, you know, there's no question or doubt that Ayrton Senna did veto Derek Warwick joining join the team. No question or doubt. And so they'd seen a lot in, in Dumfries, and he, he perfectly suited Senna. Senna knew he could beat him. And so Johnny went into that, um, into that team a bit on the wrong, wrong foot. And quite a lot of criticism of him in the press at the time, you know, because everybody loved Derek Warwick. So, um, you know, that was that was an interesting situation. The very first race he did for Lotus, which was in the, you know, it was in a very difficult to drive um, Renault Turbo Lotus, yeah. uh, the eight, 98T it was. Yeah, um, they replaced the throttle pedal with a light switch, actually. Yeah, that was yeah, about yeah. how useful it was. <laughs> about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the very first race, he was going really strongly in Brazil, and... Um, then he had an unscheduled pit stop. I can't remember what it's for, to be honest. Uh, but he got the fourth fastest lap in that race. But then he had, uh, you know, he had terrible, probably crashed at Monaco in practice and didn't make the race. And it really knocked his confidence. And subsequently, because he had the season where, you know, he had a, a fifth in Hungary was his best result. But halfway through the season, he'd already been told that he was out. 
and that, that Honda, because Lotus was switching to Honda, mm. were putting Nakajima in the team. And I think that that really didn't do his confidence any good at all. And, and Johnny wanted to be loved. He's a guy that needed an arm around his shoulder, you know. Yeah. And I don't think he got... Peter War was in love with Senna, so he didn't really get... They didn't care about Johnny Donfries. All they cared about was Senna, really. In fairness, Johnny still enjoyed his his racing. And yeah. as you say, the sports cars, he, he, he drove, in addition to Kuros and Silcut Jaguar, Toyota Team Toms and, and, and Kuros competition as well, did a bit of... Do I remember rightly, he did that um, one-hour endurance race that the British Touring Car Championship had at, uh, at Donington. Was that in the Calibre uh, Sierra? Yeah, yeah, good memory, John. Yes, he did. Uh, I think he drove with Guy Edwards. I he think. did. I think he yeah. did, yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say about it, you know, Johnny was, we call it, he was a reluctant aristocrat. Mm. Um and, you know, you never saw anything about Johnny Dumfries, Johnny Butte, Earl of Dumfries. Never saw anything in the society pages. You know, after he finished racing, you never saw him at the Autosport Awards or the BRDC Awards or any of that. He kept away from racing. And, of course, he got a huge job at Mount Stewart. Mm. Um, and he, he did a very good job. It's a magnificent house up there. And, um, he, you know, he, he had that... Um, one year where we we ran the motorsport uh, classic. It was a terrific event actually. I went up there. I was I was on the organising team with him, and we had people. Serena Scott was there. You know the old newscaster. Oh, yeah. Robbie Robbie Coltrane was there. I think Tom Kitchen, a famous chef, cooked the meal in the Grand Baronial Hall. It was one of the most magnificent dinners I've ever been to, John. It was fantastic. Um, but the problem was with that, that could have carried on. But the um, local uh, Caledonian McBrain, who were the ferry company, they had two ferries and that could just about cope with everybody going across. But for the second year, they announced that they were putting one into into a dry dock to have some work done. It. So it just couldn't get everything across. So um, that's why it died. But it would have been it, I mean, it was Scotland's answer to Goodwood. I actually had my 65th birthday there. I always love um, the fact that on so many of your stories, you remember how good yeah. the, the mail was. I, I have a yeah. very fond memory uh, of yeah. Johnny. Uh, when uh, when I went out to uh, the Gulf War in 2003, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, came, I came back um, and Eve picked me up at the airport in my old straight six XJ Jag. And we went straight down to test day. Uh, literally, I was straight off the plane into the car, snoozed on the way down, got there. Uh, we got there late in the evening, um, st- stayed out of town, and then went in the morning, uh, and everybody was getting set up for the day. It was far less as it is now. Um, it, test day was much more relaxed uh, yeah. even than it is now. And as I walked into the paddock, the first two people I saw um, was Mike Perry, sadly now, no, no yes, longer with yes. us, and, and Johnny Dumfries. And Johnny was there in a brand new shiny white almost blinkingly white set of overalls a new kit and yes. i can't remember who he was he was there with and as was i walked two, 2003 was this yes well, yeah. yeah well I'll, I'll tell you well i'll tell you that that was for zytec and i see, well say, see some contemporary reports that uh, dave price Dave Price was running that car, that Dave Price persuaded Johnny to, to race it. But actually, the idea, this is 12 years after he'd last raced at yes. Moss, he suddenly decided, he, he phoned me up and said, uh, Andy, he called me, um, 
how do I get a competition license? I haven't got a competition license, so I want to do Le Mans. So I, I think the idea came from him, not from Dave Price. Mm-hmm. Then he raced the car, or then he practiced the car. I think it was 12th fastest or something. But he felt he hadn't got it anymore. Yeah. So he never actually did the race. But yes, he, I'll never he forget, though. Over- I'll never forget him saying to me, uh, I said to him, Hello, sir. How are you? And he, and he, you know, as you said, he was a reluctant aristocrat. He would say, Come on, you know it's Johnny. I said, All right, then, Johnny, what are you doing here? He said, yeah. More to the point, what are you doing here? I thought you were in the Gulf. <laughs> and I thought, Wow, because you had been obviously posting stuff on, on the internet. But we yeah. sat down, Eve, I, and uh, Eve, me, and, and, Mike with uh, with Johnny and, and had a cup of coffee. Of course, there was a cup of coffee involved with Mike yeah. Perry uh, and sat and had a chat about the old days. And yeah. he he was exactly as I'd remembered him, never changed a bit. And I, I get no. the suspicion um, that he never changed all the way through he, his career or indeed his life. He was that quiet, but but relatively, you know, beautifully spoken Always yeah. remembered people's names. Lovely, lovely fella. Basically, that's Absolutely. how I remember him. Well, it's funny because, you know, when he was first started racing, he'd adopted... A, I mean, he never had a Scottish accent. Those those real upper-class Scots don't, do they? But, you know, he adopted a, a sort of almost Cockney accent uh, <laughs> to try and get street cred, I think. But subsequently, I noticed <laughs> the last time I spoke to him, I, the accent had, had come very much more public school, which I, it kind of amused me. But, yeah, chisel-faced, you know, chap. Very much. Um, very friendly, but, as I say, a very private sort of person. Um, had he gone to Lotus in different circumstances, would he have been a Formula One front runner? I think he would. I think he would. The irony is if it's if it if it hadn't I mean, obviously ifs and ands we know. But the Honda engine transformed that car as well. And I think it would have more suited his driving style and that could have been the making of him, Andrew. Yeah. It could have been. But you see, you've got to remember Senna picked him because he thought I'll be able to beat him. Hmm. Then he played mind games on him. I mean, Ayrton Senna was (laughs) you know, he was ruthless. We've seen a lot of things about Senna obviously. Not top of my list but very close to the top. But he played mind games on yeah, all his yeah. teammates. Absolutely. Yeah, big time, though. Big time. And I, th- I think he I think he did Johnny's head in, really. Well, um, we'll but, uh, for, for one thing we'll show, we off, obviously we're going to offer, uh, we will offer our condolences to the family, to, to his four so, uh, children, and to Serena, uh, his wife. Uh, he... He certainly enriched our lives when we were watching motor racing in that uh, F3 season. Go back and look at it. It's available on various platforms. Go back and look at the cars and how they were driven by Johnny Butte, the Earl of Dumfries. He'll be well remembered for that and and all his exploits, Andrew. Indeed, yes, uh, John. And uh, yes, uh, happy memories, happy memories. Happy memories, Andrew. Absolutely correct. Uh, in that, ah oh, man, it's been a tough few weeks, Nick, uh, hasn't it, for us in motorsport? We we've lost some really good, good people, and uh, some of them big names, some of them not so big names. We mentioned Mike Pasquale, I think, last week from the the MX5 paddock, and I, I, I'd spoke about him at, at the weekend. Uh, it could have been so different. Andy was saying there. Andrew was saying that it could have been so different for 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 Johnny Dumfries. Uh, a year either way might have made a difference in Formula One. 
well you know the, the thing about it is it's the same as it was now it's you know you have you get an opportunity you know you, you have to grab it and sometimes you know things work against you and there, and there are a number of people who who you know been at the right place at the wrong time or the wrong place at the right time <laughs> in their careers you know and well that's and, going back to what we said about um about alonso earlier on you've got to pick the right things that's part of it isn't it yeah, I mean, even the person we talked about, Derek Warwick, Derek Warwick joined Renault exactly the wrong time, um, mm. and his career kind of faded away from that point, from a high point. So, it's it's there is always an element of luck, and absolutely an element of good timing in these things. Um, just a, a note, by the way, um, uh, while we were setting this up, Andrew, and I think he's tweeted it as well tonight. Yes, he has. I'm just scrolling down the tweet deck now. When Andrew and I were talking about him coming on the show tonight, thank you, Andrew, for making yourself available this evening for Midweek Motorsport. Andrew's book is finished. Nick Tim, wow. Andrew Marriott's book pages long. is finished. <laughs> and we're waiting to hear uh, about a publisher and about when it will be out. But Andrew said uh, to me, uh, he would see, this is Andrew all over. He would not have said anything in that interview because that's not Andrew. When we get news... We will be talking about it, and we will be telling you about it. Andrew Marriott's book is written. And it, whatever you think about COVID and the lockdown, this is a product of that. Marriott has, mm. has made that work. Marriott has made that work. Um, it's Midweek Motorsports, Series 16, Episode 12. Tim Gray is up in London. Tim. Uh, Nissan has announced that it's going to commit to Formula E for season nine onwards with the Gen Three car. Uh, it's the only Japanese. Is that news? Did we think they weren't? Well, so many other manufacturers have uh, said that they aren't. Uh, but <laughs> N- Nissan, Nissan is not one of them. Uh, they have Sebastian Buemi and Dolly Rowland, uh, who, of course, uh, are both winners of Formula E races. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the only Japanese uh, brand on the Formula E grid. Indeed so. Uh, and uh, we have a quote here from someone who is... Uh, Ever since I was a young boy, I've wanted to commit to season three of season Gen 3 of uh, F.A. I, I yeah. don't yeah. know, uh, I can't remember his exact job title, but he's the man who runs the Nissan Formula E programme, Tommaso Volpe. Right. And he says, we achieved great results during our first two seasons and renewing our long-term commitment to Formula E is a key step. We entered the sport with a road-to-track technical transfer approach and by extending our rating programme through the Gen 3 era, we have the opportunity to close a circle with track-to-road technical transfer. So there. Uh, What is next, John? Well, Tim, this one is right up your seat because we're talking junior single-seater format racing in in Europe as well. Spanish F4, get to that in a moment. First of all, delighted to welcome to Midweek Motorsport from Pinnacle Motorsport, uh, the team principal, John O'Hara. Hello, John. Thanks for joining us uh, this evening. Are you fitting well? Yeah, I'm fine. Coming to you live from sunny Spain here. Beautiful part of uh, Spain, Navarra. Uh, well, beautiful part of the world, as, as we know very well, having uh, covered a Creventic race down there. Now, normally we find you in in the Far East, in in Asia. Uh, you're, we should say, establish some credentials here. First, uh, first rule of interviewing. You you did a bit of racing yourself, quite handily, uh, down through the years, and and some of it was in in that part of the world. How how long has Pinnacle been around? 
Um, well, Pinnacle was established um, in 2016 uh, in basically to take part in the Asian Le Mans Sprint Series and Asian Le Mans Endurance Series and Formula Master Series in, in Asia in, uh, yeah, like I said, 2016. And since then, we've done, we've been based mainly or doing ma mainly Asian-based series. Like I said, Asian Le Mans. Then we did some Blancpain GT Endurance Series, some uh, single-seaters Asian Formula 3 and the uh, Chinese F4. Um, so we've been quite busy over the last number of years uh, in Asia. But obviously with this COVID situation mm. and um, travel being very difficult in the region, we've looked at uh, coming back to Europe. Um, and as a result, we've uh, we've made the decision to join the Spanish F4 series. And uh, we hope to we hope this is the first step in our in our plans to, you know, become more and more involved in European racing. Uh, am, I, am I right? Uh, PRT is is what I remember going back to that sort of 2016 Formula Masters uh, season. PRT uh, was that the same Correct. concern? Correct. Same 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 group. There you go. Uh, initially, we were involved with um, a Dutch guy who was based in Manila, Ate de Jong, and uh, his the name came from his his uh, main business, Pinnacle Sports. Um, and initially, when he when we got involved with him running his cars, he wanted the name Pinnacle Racing Team. So that's where the PRT name came oh, from. Yeah. And then, obviously, when he moved on to LMP2 in Europe, uh, we kept the name. So that's when it became Pinnacle Motorsport for 2017. But it's the same group of people. Uh, and, and absolutely understand the situation because that region in terms of motorsport has probably been hardest hit uh, of any round the world and it necessitated some very creative thinking by uh, Cyril Tashverlin and, and the rest of the Asian Le Mans series culminating in, in four races in eight days in the UAE recently. So... Uh, Looking to, to, to go back into to single-seater uh, racing, Spanish F4. I'll ask you in a little while why Spanish F4. Um, but talent spotted, uh, a young man from... Uh, people will have spotted, by the way, John, I think, because our listeners are pretty sharp with this, that that isn't a Far Eastern accent that you've got there. So a bit of talent spotting, spotted back, back in the homeland um, from a, a wee place... Uh, called Cluimbola, uh, it which is uh, I, I'm not sure is a racing hotbed. To to be honest, tell me a little bit about Alex Dunn then, and and how how you you noticed him. Well, yeah, I, I know I, I've been watching his progress over the last number of years, and and um, I raced against his dad years and years ago when we were when we were back, back then when we were racing. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it, though, really? Doesn't that make you feel a bit old? <laughs> yeah, yeah, back about 20 years ago when, when I was racing, when I could fit in a racing car. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you know, there's the Irish connection, and uh, it's uh, as, an, as an Irishman living abroad, you always keep an eye on, on, on the young emerging talent. And uh, Alex has been competing at the highest level of, of European karting over the last number of years and has had quite a few race wins so, you know, we've we've been in discussion with uh, with Alex and his parents probably over the last two years, eighteen months, um, and you know, I moved back to Ireland towards the end of uh, twenty twenty. We we had some conversations, we had some meetings, we were able to raise some some funding between us to help him make the step, and um, 
and you know, yeah, just we put the whole plan together. Um, why did we choose the Spanish series? Um, it's an emerging series series in Europe. Um, it, it's a data sharing uh, situation, so wow. basically, uh, it doesn't. It do, there's no this disadvantage to smaller teams entering. Yes, because um, uh, you get you get the fastest lap from each session. So these these are the reasons you know Smart. why we chose the Spanish series and. That's, actually, that's something I hadn't thought of, John, uh, and that's a very valid point. Single car teams uh, could be at a massive disadvantage uh, in these uh, in these junior formula. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's introduce uh, Alex, young Alex. I'm going to call you, and you'll be getting called that for a while, uh, Alex. Uh, still, uh, only I think still only 15, if my research is right. I hope I didn't butcher the name of your hometown too badly. And um, no, you know, it wasn't too bad. It's actually it's pronounced Clombalog. Clombalog. Okay. Right. <laughs> so not too bad. Not too bad. My uh, Irish grandmother won't be rolling in that grave too too much then. Um, well, this is fabulous news for you. Uh, Fairness, she was from Monaghan, so a wee bit further over than you. Now, uh, the the uh, great news for you, very exciting, uh, traditional, what we would call a traditional uh, motor racing career so far, coming up through karting, Alex. Yeah, I think I, I started off when I was just eight years old. I, um, you know, ever since I was small, I was always watching my dad race, and anytime he raced, I always went, and I always really enjoyed being there. And then um, some of the people that I was friendly with, I knew they raced karts as well. So I asked my dad if I could give it a try, and um, he took me down to my my local kart track in in Meath, Athboy, and then it kind of it, it all just kicked off from there, and I've loved it ever since. Uh, you're still a very young man, as, as, as we've said. This is going to mean quite a lot of time away from home. How are you going to, I mean, uh, practicalities, are, are you going to be able to fit in your studies? I suppose it's all a bit different nowadays with distance learning anywhere more prevalent. Well, now now at the moment, we actually felt in the last two years that the best decision for us and the easiest way was for me to be homeschooled because we felt it would be the, the most beneficial way for racing. And I think, obviously, I spend a lot of time away, so homeschooling really has helped quite a lot. Hard. Have you ever even been in the car yet, Alex? Uh, I did a two-day test last week at uh, Spa, and um, it went very well. I was very happy with the progression over the two days, learning and gaining confidence in the car. So, yeah, I've, I had my first two days, and I, we're going to um, we're actually going to Spain this weekend, Navarra. And then oh, we're testing on Saturday and Sunday, and then we're going to um, we're going to Spa again for another two days. Uh, spa, tell me it rained the first time you got out there on the track. It was raining, wasn't it? The first time you went out <laughs> in the car on an, in an F four car, it's at Spa, and the first time you went through Eau Rouge and up through Radion, it was actually wet, wasn't it? I, I have to say, to be honest, it was it was um, it was quite scary, but it also it was. Um, definitely one of my most enjoyable moments of being in a racing car this is this is your first time in cars so you've got quite a lot to get used to with with gear changing and and, and things like that how did you how did you feel that you you cope with all that having graduated from karting well i think obviously in karting there was a lot of times where we'd have to jump into a race weekend without any testing so and, you know, there was a lot of times where we had to jump into qualifying when we had a few problems in testing. So I felt that I was I was always fairly good at adapting to new things. And especially as well, having a simulator at home, that also helped me a lot to do 
a lot of laps to to get a lot of track knowledge and help me with how the car feels. So I felt I adapted quite well. I didn't think it it didn't take me too long to get used to the new environment. You're going to be back at Spa as a support race for the World Endurance Championship, um, which is a good reason for you to be doing some testing. Uh, that's going to be quite a big event, young man. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll definitely be very cool racing against racing alongside some of the some of the best GT racers in the world. It'll be very cool to watch all the all the LMP2s going around Spa. Uh, a big learning curve, uh, Alex. We wish you all all the, all the best in that. What? What is ultimately, I know it's hard to look beyond what you're going to be doing in the near future, but ultimately, do you see your, do you see your future in single-seaters? It's a tough old game, as I'm sure you know. I think, I think if we put in enough work, I think I, think I can definitely, I definitely see myself having a, a good career in motorsport, especially in single-seaters. I'll come back to you before we, we let you go. John, if I can bring you back in. Um, Spanish F4, um, as you said, tremendously competitive. Lots of circuits for for uh, Alex to to learn. What, what's this? What is the the status? Do you think at the moment of of any racing in Europe, but particularly these single seater categories? It's not been easy for for any business, and race teams and race series are a business. I mean, are we? Do you, do you hope to get a full season in uh, with? all the exigencies that we can control and most that we can't. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that's the aim, you know, we're, we're, we're going in this together to be as competitive as possible. And, and the aim is obviously to, to complete the year. Um, I think we're in a much, much healthier situation this year than we were, you know, 12 months ago, even with COVID still very much around. Um, but the fact that, you know, the vaccine is on the horizon and, and, um, and, and travel restrictions are are becoming easier, or certainly compared to twelve months ago. So uh, I I don't really see any problem with you know finishing the year from that point of view. And, and being able to drive around Europe for the most part, anywhere uh, clearly logistically that makes things, John, at least a little bit clearer and a little bit less complicated. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you know we're, we're all, all the races are in the EU, and the fact that we're based in Ireland, still part of the EU, that makes things a little bit more, more difficult or more e- easier. You know, especially when you compare it to the situation we've we've dealt with in Asia. You know, where everything has just come to a stop. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, exactly. So, um, we wish you you both the best uh, on that, John. Come back and talk to us again, and uh, let us know how you're going uh, in in this through the season, Alex. All the best, young man. Um, Formula One, dare I say, everybody's going to ask you that question, Alex, so you might as well get, get used to, uh, to answering it. It's been a, a wee while since we've had someone from your part of the world at the highest levels of, of single-seater racing. Do you set your sights that high? Uh, to be honest, I think the day I say I'm not going to make it to Formula One is probably the day that I'll stop racing. Oh, Great answer. I don't know whether you've practiced that before, but that is a quality answer to that. Alex Dunn and John O'Hara, thank you very much. We wish you all the best in the Spanish F4 Championship. Keep an eye open for that pinnacle racing car. Guys, have a good season. Be safe. Race well. Thank you. Cheers. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. 47. 46, 45, uh, just after 9 o'clock, ran over a little bit there, but uh, great stuff from you, Alex Dunn and John O'Hara, magnificent stuff, and um, we wish them 
uh, all the best. Coming up in hour number two, more of Nick Damon. We'll have Shea Adam talking IMSA. What a weekend of IMSA racing uh, we had. Uh, Ad Specutainment for your tweets to us about what you've heard so far. Let's have some of your remembrances of Johnny Dumfries as well. And what do you want to see in Andrew Marriott's book? Uh, maybe that is not the best thing to ask for. Ad Specutainment. It's the big interview next with Algar Pro Racing's Principal Stuart Midweek Goss. Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Delighted to say we're joined on Midweek Motorsport by Stuart Cox from Algarve Pro Racing. If you've been watching carefully lately, you'll know that they've got a lot to talk about in terms of their racing programme. And alongside that, the Drive Fast, Act Faster campaign initiated by Ferdinand Habsburg and the Green Future Project with support of Algar Pro Racing. Stuart is on the line to talk to us now. Thanks for joining us, Stuart, on this. Drive fast, act faster. Um, tell me a little bit about this, and, and more importantly, why you uh, and and Samantha wanted to get involved in this initiative. Well, we just um, something for it we sort of saw um, through being able to travel uh, with motorsport. And back in 99, I went to, after the Malaysian Grand Prix, I went to stay in Penang and we got a little boat ride trip to an island near Langkawi um, and went diving there for the first time. And I noticed how, you know, I was truly took back by how beautiful it was under the water. And it's something I've always enjoyed doing ever since. Um it was a protected place where they had like a floating pontoon and you, it was like an introduction dive. And it was amazing. And I'll never forget it, how beautiful it was. But we went back a couple of years ago. We didn't go to the same place, but to the same area in, in, in Langkawi, actually on the island. And I thought you could definitely see a difference where, you know, there wasn't as many fish. That it was really dulled down quite a lot to what I'd expect expected and we do a fair bit of diving because we're quite lucky because we live uh, where we do and also with holidays that we get from going away to doing the asia championship and mm. um, and you do see the difference um and I, we were just um in dubai sat down getting ready for one of the sessions and we was chatting with birdie and he he's got similar interests and it was just like I just said, you know, um, also Naveen Rao was involved because he's very much a part of, he's very, he's, his business is into, you know, reducing his CO2 emission. And, you know, um, we were all just talking about it. And, you know, we just said, look, well, we're, we're going to enter this car, the 24 car. It's all sort of done and dusted. But what do we want to do? Do we want to try and do something with it rather than it just flogging round? And, yeah. And I, I just said to Ferdy, how about we try and see about green? And then between the three of us, Naveen, Ferdinand, myself, we all came up with this idea that this is the sort of way we were going to push it forward. And Ferdinand, because he was already involved with his family in that sort of thing, has really taken it to the next level. So he's put all the work in um, and all the, all the PR stuff you've seen so far about it and our release, all that. Uh, is down to him 
um, it's my job to get the car ready and to try and, from our end, reduce the amount of waste that we produce. Right, that's what I was going to ask, Stuart, because quite clearly you're not going to be running an electric car. This is a combustion-engined car. So... What can you do? Look, we're all petrol heads. We all know that things have to change. Um, I'm not going to get into the discussion about whether we think um, digging rare earth metals out of the ground and putting them into batteries and then finding that you can't recycle it is, is the way forward. That's a, that's a story for another day. But what can you do? What differences can you make in, in running a, a conventional fueled racing car to make it as close to or indeed carbon neutral across your racing season well it's it's more about we talk about going racing but we produce more co2 getting the thing there yeah good point you know the truck we need to take you know does it most of the average journey is 20 hours there so the engine in the truck's running for 20. The race car only runs for, what, a four-hour race or a six-hour race if it's yeah. wet, all right, the 24 hours an exception. But the truck generally runs 20 hours there, 20 hours back. So that produces more waste than anything. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just silly little stuff. You know, if we use the truck, it's burning 30 litres of fuel per 100. That's going well. Normally it's around, it's averaged between 30 to 35. Uh, liters per hundred so we're going to use the van and trailer all right it's not big and flash but that car will that team will run from the van and trailer so it'll have all its bits and everything in that and for that way we save on the amount of fuel we're using right obviously to everything that goes into it because the, the, the van runs cheaper it runs less tires if this that and everything else so that that's sort of that's a way we can reduce some costs uh, re- reduced well first of all it reduces cost second of all it reduces our carbon output yeah so it, it's just been because you're on the go in the garage all, all the time we do use a lot of stuff that's a throwaway item yeah so it's like putting water dispensers in and using instead of like a throwaway cup each mechanic has his own cup that he uses all year yeah it's silly stuff that all can be done and, and thinking about it. And it's just making people think. Because I think with everything, we, we you know, as you, as you get older, you sort of learn more and see more. And do we really educate? Everyone talks about education and this, but people see education as going to university. I see education as actually learning life skills, you know, the university of life. We don't, we're not all lucky enough. We've got the opportunity to go to university, having the money to be able to do it. But you don't need to be super intelligent to actually be smart. In terms of, of more, even, even more fundamental things, Stuart, like your, your team kit, you, you've, even, uh, you've even made some changes there to, yeah, to help. Exactly. We've in touch. We, we were approached last year by a company, Merchant Taylor, and their brand of. Uh, 86400 um uh, and basically this is made uh, their team apparel is made from i'll get one of my hats and have a look because i can never remember the numbers <laughs> so there we go here's my hat it's on inside it's fantastic you know it is 
35% plastic from the ocean. So this is what we've thrown in the ocean. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take a lot of common sense to work out. We shouldn't throw plastic in the ocean. Well, because it's but not going to break reason, down ever, is do. it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. The next one is it's got 25% organic cotton and 40% landfill plastic. Right. And they're making our hats, our T-shirts, our, all of our uh, tin kit that we're going to use for the year. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, and and that's all spun into fibres then. And I'm, I mean, people are going to say, hang on a second, plastic T-shirts, effectively. Um, how's that going to work? But I've, they, they, se- I've know, seen this too. They're the products with natural cotton. Yes. Yeah. And and for that reason, they're reducing, you know, the, basically the companies, uh, the, the, the garments are made in Spain. Mm-hmm. You know, literally the Spanish fishermen bring plastic in on people, where people clean up around the beaches and stuff. And that is used to go into the... Garments. Uh, and these, as you say, these are massive changes that you're making. Nobody's suggesting that we stop putting petrol into the racing engines, but these are all ways that can make quite a, a large difference uh, overall. Now, this is you guys at the moment at Algarve Pro Racing. Are you hoping to get other people and perhaps even series on board with this, Stuart? Yeah. Basically, Ferdinand's pushing it quite hard because I'm here working with Sam and the lads getting everything ready. And Ferdinand's sort of taken it because he's so into this. He's taken the reins of it all. And and, and drivers are actually contacting him Mm. to say, what can we do? Because they're all dead keen. Because when you talk to drivers about Formula E, it's great because the manufacturers are behind it. But do they really enjoy driving the cars? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not going to comment, but... You know, I'm sure you've spoken to people. And let's be honest, when you when you go to a race, you want to feel like you've been to a race. And with a, you know, petrol burning engine, it, it sounds like a race car. Yeah. And I think, you know, I do think, we really want to go all this way? I do think that we all have a responsibility, and, and that's what you're seeing here with, with this yeah. initiative. I had a very interesting conversation with the guys at Porsche recently about synthetic uh, fuels uh, so that internal combustion engines can continue, uh, and they can be uh, super clean, uh, and they don't come from carbon sources, and that might indeed even extend brand new petrol cars, petrol engine cars, uh, ICE engines beyond 20, 2030. But we have to do something, otherwise it's going to be taken out of our hands in racing, Stuart. And that's what I like about this. It's it's grabbing the nettle uh, in in some respects, so that we can continue to enjoy the racing that we all love, particularly hmm. uh, en- endurance uh, racing. How can people find out more? Have you got some stuff on your website, or is there anywhere they can go? That's all, Ferdinand's. It's literally this only came about. When did we actually come up with the idea? Probably round the. 10th of February. Wow. So this literally has only started back then. And so far, he's, he's been really proactive in what he's done. So, yeah, there will be stuff to follow up and during the year more and more. You he's... know, basically, we're trying to run the car that it for what um, CO2 we produce, the rainforest that we're looking after in Ecuador um, produces the offset for that. 
Right, t- you know, t- hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 Stu, back up, back up. The rainforest that you're looking after in Ecuador, you, that's a, you can't just throw that away. Tell me a bit about that. Rainforest, of course, for those that don't know, suck out a whole load of CO2 out the atmosphere, uh, and, and, and they're effectively like a big air filter, uh, and they're being decimated around the world for, for various things. And again, let's not go into the politics of that. So, so what's this then, Stu? Well, it's all about money, isn't it? That's what it's about. Yeah, it is one down and someone earns a load of money out of it well if they earn money for looking after it which is basically what ferdinand's got involved with he's basically through people he knows as how would you say they've basically got a certain amount of land of, of a rainforest and they're protecting it so nothing happens to it. it just carries on as it would with nobody doing anything to it wow and that amount of land with those trees on it will offset what we burn Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, and what's more, it is a resource that continues. Um, and mm. it is also protecting the natural environment. So actually, more than double bubble on that. That's really good. That's really good. I like I like that a lot, Stu. I like that a lot. Yeah, well, I don't understand why we don't just plant more trees. There's probably somebody, you know, I don't know anything about it. It just, it, it just seems to me, it just seems like common sense, you know. Stu, you're applying logic, mate. If you, if you, if you eat all the fish in the sea, there's, none, there's going to be none left. If you look after them and you're just sensible about it, they'll keep thriving. Yeah, you're applying logic and common sense to yeah. to, to things yeah. like that. Listen, I think it's a brilliant idea. Drive fast, act faster. Before I let you go, I do want to talk to you about the rest of, of the racing because uh, you ha- have announced your uh, other drivers for the ELMS uh, and Le Mans. Uh, when was that? Was that yesterday or day before uh, on, on that? Um, Franco Colapinto. Rookie of the Year in Asian Le Mans series. Roman Rusinov, who we know very well. And Nick De Vries, mm-hmm. old quick Nick De Vries. That, mate, is a pretty formidable lineup for for the J-Drive car. You, I mean, Franco is an absolute little star, isn't he? Yeah, unbelievable. You know, in fairness, there's, he, he did a super job um, in Asia. But to be honest, we expected it. We... We, we met him through a, a mutual uh, friend of ours that I worked with uh, in 2009, Jamie Campbell-Walter, who's looking after the lad. Mm. Um, Bullet sports management, and he said, look, Exactly. And um, he said, look, you've got to try this kid. And we managed to get him in a car after the Portimao race. Now, we hadn't... It was unbelievable. Um, he's never driven a P2 car. Um, turned up to Portimao. We put him in it on the Monday after the Portimao race. Within six laps, he equaled our best lap of the race. And I said, you know, we're all looking at one another thinking, my God. And then we threw another, we threw a set of tyres on it and let him have a low fuel run just to see how he did. And he was quick enough to go second on the grid. No way. After, after 12 laps. No way. No, unbelievable. Um, and, you know, everybody go, ah, the day was quicker. It wasn't. You know, realistically, there was other teams testing and it was comparable to that the previous day. So we were very impressed. And for that reason, we managed to get him in the car with um, um, Rui and John uh, for Asia. And that all worked really well. And, in you know, we're all talking about Franco being the next 
you know, star of the future. But also, if you look at his teammates, um, Rui Andrade did a mega job. You know, he's he's not had the experience that Franco has or the running, and um, he came along and he's done a brilliant job. And his last race in Abu Dhabi was really good. We're really pleased. So we're looking forward to seeing how both cars run. I, I, I tell you what, though, it doesn't get any easier in ELMS, in LMP2. What we've got, sharp end of uh, 20 cars, 16, 17 cars, and you look at all of them and think, oh, yeah, that's a, oh, no, that's a good line-up. Oh, that's a good line-up. I, I mean, you're in, you're in the shark tank again this year, Stuart. Well, you always are. It's never going to change. You know, everybody goes there to try and win. It's just whether you've got the money to be able to get the drivers in the cars that you want. And um, this year we really have. Uh, United looking strong again with yourselves. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's a very good looking Edex Sport car that's got Patrick Peeler. We're, we're seeing some very interesting. I think we're seeing some sort of factory GT drivers, uh, particularly affiliated to German manufacturers, who are, yeah. are jumping into LMP2, presumably ahead of of LMDH for those factories. That that's that's going to be another wrinkle this year, Stu. Yeah, I think so. I think the factories are quite interested in LMDH. It's interesting to see how they're going to come into it, though, um, and how much money they want to put behind it. Because if they run factory cars, they're going to cost a fortune, and it will make it quite difficult for privateers like us. But if they actually, instead of running factory teams, they they build cars and sell them, um, it all it works. And is that is that the model that has to happen? Do you think? Uh, from our side it's the model we need but it doesn't have to happen we just you know we compete as we can you know we didn't have a great year we were hoping for more last year but it didn't work out well the one race we were doing well in where it was suited our tyre better um, we ended up upside down sliding into the wall backwards where we had at that point the quickest car on track Loic was doing an amazing job Mm. Um, and we were looking for a result, and the, the sister car in the team was running third at that point. And um, our, our rolling cost the, the sister car third place, which yeah. was annoying, and they ended up finishing fifth. But, yeah, it's always tough. It's always difficult, but, you know, we, we're here another year. Barcelona is the, the prologue or the official tests uh, as, it's, uh, as it's turned. It doesn't seem that far away in, what, second week of, of April. Um, everything set up and ready or, you know, any, any we're worries? Not, we're not quite ready uh, because the cars are still on the containers coming back from Abu Dhabi. Um, right. With the, which, you know, when we got there, we were expecting to have everything back, you know, second week of March, um, which was the initial plan. But um, with the COVID situation, the ports are stacked with um, containers because there's not as much moving around. Of course. So the ships aren't running as frequently as normal. So basically everything, we, we, we knew that we'd have a bit of a delay with getting the cars back. So we stayed in Abu Dhabi for uh, four days preparing the cars. Oh, smart. So uh, we sort of grabbed it by the horns then, prepped everything, got all the job lists ready so that we know, you know, where you do run out of parts eventually because we can't carry everything around the planet. Um, 
we know what part needs what service and everything else so rather than it being oh that needs a bit of work on it um everything's been documented so we can literally go so i know what we'll uh what suspension bushes need changing in which yeah. particular areas you know yeah. as you do just little bits of the extra work that you know hopefully make the difference so those four days were spent very useful preparing everything so we're anticipating one of the containers comes into dock today and the for some reason they where we had two containers they put them on separate ships so one arrives today and the other one arrives beginning of next week but we need three or four days to prep the cars and then we're off to barcelona where we arrive on the 7th of april wish you all the best in that uh Stuart. lovely to talk to you again uh, give our best to to sam as well and, and the rest of the team as we've said it's going to be a competitive season uh wish you all the good fortune that you can this year to, to rather turn around that uh that bit of bad luck that you had last year. Stuart Cox, thanks for, for joining us. Good luck and uh, drive fast, act faster with Green Future Projects uh, along with Algar Pro Racing. That's what we've been talking about as well. Thanks, Stuart. Cheers now. Bye. Take care. Stuart Cox here on Midweek Motorsport this week's big interview. Uh, Shay Adam joins us now. Good evening, Shay. Hello. <laughs> Spot on. You see, I had that on the on the... The fast key on the hot key. A little bit of satellite delay as well. Great. Uh, While uh, John was talking to Stuart there, uh, Shay and I have been arguing over what is the best movie with muskets in it. Uh, Three Musketeers, obviously. That's Musketeer. Uh, She thinks it's The Patriot. I think it's Sweet Liberty. If you have an opinion either way, then uh, get in touch at Specutainment and we'll uh, revisit that before the end of the show. Yes, got some calendar news. Oh, you do love a good calendar. Uh, The first round of the British Truck Racing Championship, (laughs) which was scheduled to take place at Pembroke in May, has been moved to June the nineteenth and twentieth, but still at Pembroke. Okay, Um, the Mont Classic was postponed today. Yes. I'm just leaving that out there. I'm not making any comment uh, whatsoever. That's been postponed all that. year, though. Yeah, I'm at least you'll be able to go and see the British Truck Racing Championship somewhere this year. Although probably not at Pembroke because the Welsh uh, I, rules are different and they won't be allowing spectators into that. I, I mention I mention that because of the ever-changing landscape. As we were talking to Stuart just there, and my goodness, me, I would not like to be in a team's position. It's bad enough just trying to get commentators around Europe to to do what we need to do what th- that we're on site for. I would not like to be a team planning right now and uh, the situation is what's the word I'm looking for? F- fluid. fluid. What's the word I was going to say? you have a question about the British Truck Racing Championship? Is that when they race the semis? No, just 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 the bits on the front. Just the tractor bits. Oh, but wouldn't it be fun if they had the trailers too? I think that would be like caravan uh, racing. I think you'd have far fewer of them on the grid because of the <laughs> length. Um, <laughs> they would take up the whole track. Any anyone <laughs> take up the whole of the straight. Uh, anyone uh, who hasn't seen uh, European style truck racing uh, and is in the US, I believe that highlights are available on Amazon Prime. I Ooh. I have done 
commentary for uh, FIA truck racing at Donington Park, funny enough. There's very um, few circuits in the UK where truck racing still happens. Donington is one. Thruxton, Brands Hatch and Pembrey, I think, are the four. The, 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 They've stopped was, doing the, it at Croft now. The, there was a few places, well, for a while, before they were speed limited, there was a few places that wouldn't have them because when when they were not restricted, they would go so quickly and carry so much momentum and they were so big and heavy, they would destroy the safety features around the circuit. And then they were, I think they were, I think they were restricted to maybe 105 miles an hour. That'll be something in kilometres that makes sense. As far as I'm aware, they're restricted to 99 miles an hour. All right, okay, there you go. That'll be a kilometre thing from the FIA. I've done a few truck racing things. I remember one particularly at Dono when I was working with David Addison uh, and I was in the main box uh, at Dono. Um, I lost a, a, a quarter of a carat diamond earring when I was in there, in fairness. Ooh. Yeah. From the days when you wore earrings. I could still wear earrings if I want. My ears are still pierced. I remember wrong with being that. at Thruxton um, and during the lunch break... Uh, this was many years ago, uh, I had to go out to all the cameramen on the uh, track side and to deliver their lunches and water and things like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't make it around the track uh, during the lunch break. So racing resumed uh, while I was stood on the bank at church. Uh, and you do not want to be standing on the bank at church when there's a 99-mile-an-hour <laughs> no, 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 truck coming across no. the grass towards you. No, oh, absolutely, absolutely not. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports coming on to half past nine on a Wednesday night. Uh, we've got Tim up in London. Shea Adam is joining us from the US. Uh, uh, Nick Damon is still around just to prove that he is. Hello, Nick. Hello, John. Excellent. Uh, and we move on to what, please, Tim? Well, earlier we spoke to John O'Hara and Alex Dunn about uh, the Spanish Formula 4 Championship, uh, which they are entering. No shortage of confidence, by the way, from Alex, 15-year-old Alex Dunn. Indeed. None whatsoever. You have to be. Uh, well, true. Yes, no, no, I agree. I'm, I'm, no, sorry, I wasn't. Sorry. If that sounded like I was being, uh, was trying to run him down. Not at all. I, I was building the lad up. I, I liked that interview. Enjoyed that. The uh, man who, or boy, who won uh, the Spanish Formula 3 Championship last year, Cass Havercourt, uh, is going to move up to the Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine this season. Uh, but he's staying with MP Motorsport, the team that he won the title with last year. Um he absolutely dominated that championship, won 13 races out of 21 in his first season of uh, car racing. And someone else uh, who is making his Formula 4 debut this year, uh, first time racing in a Formula 4 car, uh, in the Danish championship is Emerson Fittipaldi. Junior. Sorry, junior, Nick? junior, junior. The third. Junior. Must be the third, no. surely. Uh, no, this is the son of Emerson Fittipaldi. Really? The 14-year-old son of Emerson Fittipaldi. Good for Emerson. Yes, I already did. (laughs) Already did. Good for Emerson. Oh, yeah. Nelson Piquet has about 403 children, so, you know, why shouldn't Emerson have have one, uh, a a straggler? Excellent. 
the Brazilian move on, thing, move on. Just saying. <laughs> we haven't got the legal budget for that. Uh, Shay, um, yes. have we got a result from the 12 hours of Sebring yet? No, not officially. Uh, we've got official oh. results from every one of the support series, but not from the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship yet. Well, I'll ask you the same question next week. Okay. Uh, I t- I- uh, the, the one thing that we have to talk about here... First of all, how well, good we were the support we race results? I mean, we no, can no. talk about support races. Yeah. <laughs> how good yeah. were the two? How good were the two support ca- three support categories actually? Um, uh, had uh, Robin Liddell uh, with me on the Haggerty Inside Track yesterday. Uh, we'll tweet. Eve is even as I'm speaking this now, tweeting the link. So if you didn't see it, you can see it with Piers Phillips from. Rahal Letterman Lanigan and Seb Prior. And great finish to the Mission Pilot Challenge. That was diff, not um, a, not an engine issue for, for their car at the end of the race. Absolutely worth watching. Seb brilliantly uh, controlled with a win in a second in the Porsche Carrera Cup North America. Uh, Idemitsu Master MX-5 Carrera Cup brilliantly bonkers i mean the, the support races all right let's not talk about necessarily the main race here but the support races were absolutely brilliant in front of a huge crowd at Seabury. <laughs> yeah nobody left feeling as if they didn't get their money's worth that's for sure um the six races we had across the weekend by the end of it, I heard you earlier talking about how you got that post-race, post-jet lag feeling yes. of the weekend. Race lag. I, race lag. I felt Absolutely. the same. Um, Sunday afternoon, most of the day was spent on the couch napping, <laughs> to be completely honest. And it was just one of those sensations that made you feel as if every single individual one of the races on the weekend would have been good enough if it was on its own. Correct. So to have all of them together was very much overwhelming. And yeah, I mean, the the Mazda race to, to kick things off of the weekend, that should have warned us what we were in for, having the three cars come within 13 hundredths of a second of one, or 13 thousandths yeah. of a second from first to third. It, it was beyond beyond bonkers for all of them to be that good. The big talking point, and we sort of addressed this in uh, Michelin post-race tech, was the issue that the Ally 48 Cadillac had. They went yes. over drive time four hours and six, uh, thanks to the, the timing information that, that we had. You were right across that long before Jimmy Johnson went on NBC and said that. But even then, they were 50, five zero seconds over. But then they decided to leave. It was uh, Pagano, wasn't Pagano. it? They, they left Pagano in when they could have brought him in and taken him out with 50 seconds wrong. And they could have argued about that. But then they lift, left him in and sort of said, yeah, well, what the, you know what. And, and... Fortunately, at the end, Kami Kobayashi did not affect the result. But I feel that is something that IMSA are going to have to address because that could have gone very, very badly wrong. It it could have. And um, to be honest, when I went back through and I I read the times and I I crunched the numbers myself, the four and six had already been... um, The the assault had already been made. There, There was no way to make up for that 
Simon wasn't that far into his stint. He was okay to keep going for another stint as far as being a racing driver is concerned because you do spend three hours in the car. The incident at hand that resulted in him going over the time was the time prior to him getting in the car and then being in the car for too long. He he did stay in for another stint after that drive time uh, infraction had occurred. So it wasn't as if they were endangering anybody. It wasn't as if he himself had been in the car for four hours at that point in time. It was just that the window had closed and they had gone 50 seconds over the time. Still, wrong, bad, and after you have exceeded that minimum drive time, uh, the the problem that I have with it is that they're not in the full season championship. They were in it for the Michelin Endurance Cup points. You're going to be moved to the back of class at the end of the race anyway, so you're going to score minimum points. And that doesn't matter whether it's 50 seconds or 50 minutes, by the way. So if they hadn't argued their case and 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 got the 50 seconds disappeared it made no difference whatsoever they were at the back of the class there was no sense in them continuing actually at that point and uh, i'm gonna say this now at the uh, uh, perhaps getting some flack from this and aspect your team i think it was disrespectful if i'm honest i think it was disrespectful to the other competitors and to the event i I don't disagree, but also, John, this is a team that's brand new to sports car. Well, not the team. Forgive me for saying that. This is a group Action of Express. men and women. Yes. Yes. Who going over the wall, sitting on the pit box, even in the case of Jimmy Johnson driving the car, very unfamiliar with sports car racing. The best way to practice is to be out there on the track. The best way to practice pit stops is to have to do pit stops in the race. Yeah. Okay. So for them to prepare for Watkins Glen and Petit Le Mans, which they are, are running in both events still, they needed that additional four yeah. and a bit hours of racing that they got. So I, I don't begrudge them staying out there. I begrudge them saying that they were racing for a trophy when they knew full and well that they weren't applicable oh, to get a trophy. No, I, I, and and some of the social media that we've seen over the last couple of days, now obviously the sponsors involved here with Ally, and I understand they want to get their value out of what they paid, but there was no mention of, of the fact that Chad Knauss, and it was Chad Knauss who made the mistake, because he's got to make the call, made the mistake and got them basically disqualified from the race. There's no mention of that at all. And I... I, I all right. If, it, if it's not disrespectful, it's disingenuous. And I do think IMSA, and I, I love what IMSA do, but I think going forward, if you've blown at that point, if you have blown your time, then it, why shouldn't it come up on the, on the screen and say, black flag, you've blown your time, you're going to be at the back, then pull your car over and park it. I think that yeah. has, to be, has to be the thing that happens. There has been discussion before about the drive time that I'm aware. Um, mm, the problem is that it's not it, it's not IMSA's responsibility to inform the teams when they are getting close to or about to exceed the drive time. Mm. And when they do, IMSA does say, hey, you've done this. You will be moved to the back of the class. Problem is that most of the time this happens at the end of a race. Yes. Then the dying embers of the race. Yes. So it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily factor in as, as much as we've seen uh, in this event that now the next time we're going to see this at hand, because you can't go over four in any six. If you're at Watkins <laughs> Glen with three drivers, thankfully, well, you'd um, hope so, not. Yeah, that, <laughs> They've that got it very wrong. Very, Chad <laughs> needs to wind his watch up a lot yeah. better. If that's the case. 
Yeah, so the next time we're going to see this being uh, a real worry is going to be at, at the Motel Petit Le Mans come the end of the year in November now. Um, there is a lot of time to figure out a solution. And I know, for example, we talked about it during the 12 hours this year. Um, Paul Miller was one of the teams that, that has exceeded the drive time in the past. They had an incident last year at Sebring where Corey Lewis, I think, went 16 minutes over his time, something like that. So mm. the team themselves figured out a way to keep track of the drive time on their computers right yeah. in front of them on the timing stand. That's an individual thing that you need to figure out how to do and you need to figure out that it's important to do. It's a lesson that Action Express has now learned that they will carry forward into the future. I'm sure they're not the last ones to make this mistake. They definitely will not be. No, uh, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, what we what do we know about IMSA? IMSA are tremendously active in looking at situations. That was a ridiculous situation with the amount of time that was left in the race. That car shouldn't have been on the track. There's no way that car should have been on the track. It could have caused all kinds of issues. Camwe is racing because he's a racer. I have no problem with that. But if he had got to second, if he had got to first and taken out somebody who was potentially winning one of the biggest races of the years, oh man, that would have been so hard to take for for other other uh, people. Um, that aside, we will wait for uh, for for the uh, for the results to be be made official. Are, are we expecting any changes here? Is there anything I... else that you looked at? in the timings that, that might that might make some differences? Oh, John, you know me so well. Uh-huh. Um, the, on the notice board, after the race, there was something posted at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning, a technical infraction, a skid block that wore yeah. a little bit too much car out of compliance. This was the 22 United Autosport LMP2 machine that finished third on the road, meaning that they were moved to the back of the class meaning that the car that actually rolled over in the middle of the race, the Tower Motorsport by Starworks car, ultimately finished third. Yes, um, and, and that you know, that's a simple post-race tech thing, um, yep. which we understand. You know what? You're never going to criticise any team at Sebring for having too much wear <laughs> on the plank. No. Um, and you know, nobody's suggesting that there was any... Uh, any advantage trying to be uh, gained uh, on that one. We'll wait and probably talk about it next week. Confirmation of something, Nick, that we've been talking about IMSA-wise in the last few weeks. And in fact, we talked about it at the weekend. The IMSA Pro Series returns on the 8th of April. And you're very excited. Can't wait. Yes, it's good because I'll get to... uh, It's a year on. I, I, I... Consider myself I be getting much closer to their times when I practice the tracks to give you the, give you the full feedback. Have you practiced all the different cars that you can use for the Pro Series this year? Uh, not yet, no, but I will do. Well, get it done, get it done. I know the guys at iRacing look after you. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Drew. <laughs> Hello, Drew Adamson. Hello, the team uh, in Boston, because we're we're working together again, and we will be bringing you live commentary on IMSA Radio, and of course in sound and vision as well at IMSA Radio. Dot. Come, uh, have we? Uh, I saw the I saw the uh, press release. Is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the format? Um, do you know what? I haven't read that bit actually. I think oh, it's... Nick! I just I just what, what just what the tracks were to be honest. And what are the tracks? 
Uh, well, it's the, we have a bit of Sebring, obviously, moving on. But it's a... Uh, um, what I would say is, it, I'm, I'm, I, if, if we get the same quality of entry as last year um, and the same surprise sprinkling with all these guys having had a year's more practice, oh, yeah. um, I think we're going to see some absolutely uh, cracking events. And if Ayachen uh, Guven is uh, is taking part, considering how well he's doing in the real world of, of esports, I think uh, it might be a, a little bit of a difficulty thing to beat him. Right, so it's going to be 50 cars... GT Le Mans, which is BMW, Corvette, Ferrari, Fords, Porsches, and LMP2 Delaras uh, in the the field. So Thursday, April the 8th is Sebring. Thursday, April 22nd is WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. And Thursday, May the 6th, if you were the FBI, you would be seeing a pattern here, uh, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. And... This is the first time, Nick, that we've gone with multi-class racing here. No, it's good. That's that's the that's the joy. Obviously, you know, we we do, of course, have the iRacing twelve hours VCO and uh, race spot twelve hours this weekend, of course, at Sebring. So we'll see uh, mm. triple class multi racing here. But it's, it's the only way. It's the way it has to go. You you get you get two races. You get twice the action. Two you get overtaking. You get. Yes. Two winners, but yes, yeah. but it's, it's, it's endurance racing needs to be multi-class and even virtual endurance racing. If you haven't been hit at the backside by a badly driven person in too fast a car, you've not done virtual racing. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that Bruno Spengler comes into this uh, in GTE, GT Le Mans, as the favourite. Uh, the pre-season invitational was won by Riley Motorsports uh, uh, LMP3 driver, uh, Scott Andrews, and, and apparently he's going to come back and uh, race, I think, in the prototypes as well. So those are two to watch out for, and we'll have more of that as we get closer to that event. Shay, you have a question on this. Wouldn't it be more fun if they kept the fuel windows as they are, <laughs> made it like a 100-minute race, and then said, okay, you can choose either GTLM or LMP2. Let's see who finishes first. Well, well, the, thing, well, the, the beautiful thing about iRacing is you can have increased fuel uni- usage and Aww. increased tyre wear on each individual class, I believe. <laughs> well, I'm not wishing to be too dull. You, having done Sebring myself last weekend, you only get 37 minutes out of a tank at Sebring on a P2. And, yeah. Just like um, the real world. And they have massively, across the board, um, there's been a change to iRacing to massively increase GTE tyre wear. Yeah. Hmm. That was nothing to do with the iRacing, the IMSA series, just because they realised they had it, it was becoming too easy. So they've decided to make it a little more tactical. Mm. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, uh, Tim Gray, uh, let's uh, move on. Last 15 minutes. What are at least 33 people going to be doing at Indianapolis in May? Racing. Racing? We already have 33 entries for the Indy 500. Well, that's it. With the possibility of three more. Bump day might mean something. It might mean something. Oh, right. And they they say they want to have a quarter of a million people there, don't they? Really? Mm -hmm. They've already sold 170,000 tickets, I think it is. Right. And what what are, while we're at Indianapolis... What are 96,000 people going to be doing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway next month? Watching a concert? Uh, no. NASCAR? Nope. Playing golf? Nope. <laughs> I, I think they'd struggle to get that many golfers there in a whole, in one month. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> next month. What month is next month? It's April. April. Is that in before the month of May? Um, it is, always. NASCAR. Something to do with NASCAR? Uh, nothing to do with motorsport. I guess that. Nothing to do with motorsport. Um, Boy Scout Conference? Oh, Shit, Adam reveals <laughs> reveals where her mind is. <laughs> a boy scout co- what are boy scouts going to talk about? What Pokemon to collect? Shit, Adam scouting for boys. Yes. That's all look I'm at, saying. Look right at me, now. I've got, no. I've got my Woggler, my fabulous knot. <laughs> no, no. I don't dip, even dip, have dip, anymore, do they, Nick? No, they can't. This is absolutely true. They can no longer use the word Woggle. And um, there are two things used to be called Woggle. The connecting uh, piece for a Scout's tie and also the, the long, thin buoyancy tube in a swimming pool learning. If, if you learn to swim, you have these long, thin foam tubes which were called Woggles. Can't be called Woggles because of the first three letters. And they're now called Noodles. But I don't know what the, um, the Scouts have changed to Woggles. So you can't go Woggle hopping, which was when you're in the Scouts, anything that was higher than your Woggle, which as you say was the little round thing that you put your kachit kerchief through so over the top of things like post boxes or other scouts of course shall we move on i feel we're going down a road from which there may be no return and absolutely it's not the correct correct answer anyway right okay Ninety-six thousand at indianapolis come on tell us 96,000 people will be getting their covid jabs at indianapolis motor speedway in april really right okay fine (laughs) Fine. Very pleased to say that our little GP surgery at uh, at Thrapson did 600 people this time last week and has been six, doing 600 people every day since then, which is absolutely <laughs> yeah. extraordinary. Uh, what are they, they get jabbed every day. Yeah, they're dragging people in off the streets. But frankly, <laughs> listen, don't care. Brilliantly, brilliantly done for a small community where, where we live. Um, I'd expect you to in the last 15 minutes. Or in fact, if mm-hmm. you live anywhere in Indiana, and you're 18 or older, call 211 to book your appointment. Right. Uh, Coming up after Midweek Motorsport tonight, it's a bumper, super-duper, whooper-duper Wednesday night. Uh, Marco Bonanomi uh, with a a tireless long one talking to me. And then we're all going to take a deep breath, settle back with our favourite, probably adult beverage, because Declan Brennan... And Nick Damon will join me for our MotoGP preview. MotoGP starts this weekend. And we hadn't forgotten about it, but time had rather caught up on us. So we're going to reconvene uh, in about an hour's time, just under an hour's time. That was a hurried set of uh, emails yesterday, wasn't it? It really, it really, (laughs) really was. And uh, so we will be uh, meandering through the MotoGP. We could have done this last night. We could have done it last night, but Nick was celebrating his 42nd birthday. (laughs) 31st, yeah. Plus tax. Last last 10 minutes. Last 10 minutes. Where are we going now? Uh, We're going to the Nürburgring Nordschleife this weekend. It's the opening round of the uh, Nürburgring Langstrom Series. Is it? It is. Is that what he told you? Is that what the German motorsport minister told you, Tim? Oh, no. This is what KCMG have told me because they're one of a number of teams who've sent me a press release this week. Uh, But the KCMG (laughs) one was the first one I opened. uh, And they are using this as preparation for the Nürburgring 24 Hours, which, of course, is coming up in June. Uh, They're going to be running with Alessandra 
Imperatore, Eduardo yep. Liberati, Josh Burden, Marco Holzer. Uh, it's obviously a, making ooh. his debut with the team. It is a it is a hell of an entry. I've got it on the screen in front of me. Uh, Maxi Goetz, Daniel Juncatella, Raffaella Marcello and Fabian Schiller in the first car on my list, which is the Mercedes-AMG GT3 from Get Speed. Falcon uh, with Lance David Arnold and Sven Muller and Klaus Backler and Martin Ragging in a couple of cars. Frank Stippler, uh, Kim-Louis Schramm, Vincent Kolb in their Audi. Hubert Howe, Patrick Asenheimer, Nico Bastian, Mauro Engel uh, in the HRT car. Conrad with Axel Jeffries and Michele Di Martino. And, and, and Schubert it goes Mo on. We've got Jens Klingman, Steph Dusseldorp. Uh, in an M6 GT3. We've got Nico Menzel. Can I, can I mention? Neufer. But obviously there's one team that uh, we do need to talk about a lot. And that's a team running cars 30 and 31. That's Fricadelli Racing Team for their first outing since the untimely death of Sabina Schmitz. Earl Bamba and Matt Campbell in the 30 car and uh, Maxime Martin and Patrick Pele in the 31. I, I, it's been suggested to me that there might be a couple of other drivers uh, there, including potentially Nick Tandy, uh, who will be driving with that team in the Nürburgring 24. Fair play to Porsche, fair play to Frickadelli and uh, Klaus. I ca I cannot even I cannot even begin to understand what Klaus Abelin, who uh, is a joint team principal and Sabina's husband, is thinking right now. But they're going to get the cars out this weekend in the absolute right way, Nick, to honour Sabina's memory with. All factory Porsche drivers in there. And fair play to Porsche as well. That I think that is... I'm actually quite... I'm quite emotional just thinking about that and reading that on on the entry list. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very sweet way to uh, memorialise the uh, the past champion. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a very sad... It's a very sad situation with, with Porsche being, but, you know, it's great that she'd be remembered at the uh, the event and the track which she, um, which she became famous and held so dear. It's a fabulous entry. Uh, at the weekend. We'll have Sound and Vision coverage, of course, on radio-show.co.uk, uh, providing, and I say this, and the reason I said to Tim, really, uh, the weather forecast, Mr. Gray, is not uh, optimal, is it? Well, I'm disbelieving these weather forecasts. Last weekend, <laughs> they were supposed to be doing their official pre-season test, and they cancelled yep. it because of an impending storm. Now, yep. because of the sheer volume of uh, racing at the Nürburgring that we cover here on the RSL network, we have a permanent feed of the Nürburgring coming in. Yes, we do. We can see what's going on at the Nürburgring all the time. And on what's Saturday... What's happening now, Tim? It's dark. Yeah, excellent. The, the screen is <laughs> just black. Okay. Um, black cat in a cool cellar. On, that, on fine. Saturday... Um, looking at the um, GP circuit, which was all I could see, because um, that's what they were offering me, mm -hmm. there was a little bit of snow on the grass at the side of the track, settled, um, and it yes. was still snowing. Yes. So what was it like on the Nordschleife? Answer, we don't know. We don't know. But on Sunday, no. we do know what the Nordschleife was like, because we were looking at... Uh, 
the part of Nordschleife where people join for tourist laps, which is what they were doing on Sunday. Halfway down the Dottinger Hur, yes. It was. Um, and the track was clear. The road, uh, sorry, the grass at the side of the track had no snow on it. Uh, it was a beautiful oh. sunny day, cloudless blue skies. Um, there was a little bit of snow still in the trees, sort of further away from the circuit, but gorgeous weather. And if only they'd had their test scheduled for Sunday instead of Saturday, uh, I think it could have gone ahead. Or would there, have gone there ahead. is some. The reason I say this is because the weather forecast for the weekend um, suggests that <laughs> suggests that there might be um, inclement weather by the time we get to Saturday. One degree above freezing, one degree Celsius, yeah. uh, with potential snow and or sleet or rain. They have raced which... in uh, snow and sleet before. It's mm. fog that's the real danger, isn't well, it? You know, that, that, that's a fair point, actually, Tim. Um, what we do know is, as it stands it's at the like moment... It's not like there's a Formula 4 cars on slick tyres. No, no, no. At the moment, uh, full pit lane is to be used, not the COVID carousel around the back of the pits. Um, 7 o'clock is uh, 2 degrees Celsius, 50% chance of precipitation, which could be a bit sleety at that point. 10 o'clock, uh, 60%, 3 degrees. Uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the race will have started by then. 40% precipitation and 5 degrees. doesn't get any higher than 5 degrees. That's the forecast right now, but oh. we are still a few days away, so we're yes, going to keep an eye on Huge yeah. entry list. There's uh, 4 SP7s, 2 SP8s, and SP8T from Black Falcon. Uh, there's 5 SP10s, again, including a Black Falcon car. Uh, there's a load of TCRs. There's a Cup 2 cars, SP5s, SP4s, 4Ts, 3s, 3Ts. Uh, which are the Cup X. TCRs. Um, crossbores, KTM crossbores, including... There's V5s, um, which are the Caymans, and V6s, yeah, which are yeah. Cayman S's. Uh, there's um, VT2s, a load of VT2s this year. That's things like uh, Renault Megane and VW Golf and Oplastra. Anyway, tune in on Saturday morning. Uh, time. 10.15 UK time. But also across this weekend, it's the 12 Hours of Mugello, and that's got oh, a just, huge entry list as well. Right, just before we move on to that, the, uh, Cup 5 is back with the new BMW M2 Club Sport. Remember, that used to be the 235 and the 240s Cup 5. We've moved on to a brand new car for that, and there are 11 of them from all the usual uh, suspects, including Falcon Horst and Schubert and Hoffer Racing by Bonk. So they are all there, no giggling at the back. Uh, meantime, we will start the Hankook 24 hour series uh, European run at the weekend, which Tim was about to speak about. I was going to say, uh, I looked at the entry list and I thought 13 cars, that's disappointing. And then I realised that there were three more pages and there's actually 46 <laughs> of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And where's that at the week? That's Mugello, uh, Mugello, isn't it? Yes. So we've got coverage of that in sound and vision as well. Got quite a bit of coverage that this on weekend. Friday with qualifying at uh, nine forty in the morning, and then the first part of the race is uh, in the afternoon. Oh, I've just seen a car. There's a um, Porsche nine nine one. Yeah, uh, at Mugello. Um, 
entered by Juta Racing, which is um, the uh, Gelzinis uh, team. Um, and Jonas and his younger brother Andreas are both uh, racing alongside uh, Julius Adamavicius, uh, all Lithuanian team. Um, and why were you excited about well, that? Jonas because Gelzinis it's the Lithuanians. Was a Pro-Am champion of the Porsche Carrera Cup Great Britain about a decade ago. Um, and his mm. brother... Uh, so long ago some, I was still commentating on it I think possibly. The, they were lovely that team they used to bring me Lithuanian treats oh it's all down to you better not mention that though I think the statute of limitations has run out on those though so you probably Lithuanian treats mm, is that that's what we're calling it now um, no, I, also was, that's um, champagne um, okay Lithuanian champagne so obviously not champagne it's sparkling sparkling wine. yeah there's um like I think you a, need to move, Tim. Like you're just digging yourself into a hole here, really. <laughs> like a Panatoni thing as well. Like a Panatoni thing. That's not the only racing we've got at the weekend because we also have some uh, virtual racing and our e-racing commitment continues, Nick Damon. Yeah, we got the uh, the official uh, VCO uh, Race Spot 12 Hours of Sebring, one of the uh, Blue Riband events of iRacing. And the uh, well, as I racing is really the only um, platform that does multi 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 uh, member multi team uh, entry large events. It is the uh, the Blue Ribbon, yeah, twelve hours sleeping week after the real one. And it's, um, uh, well, we're going to have the same the same three classes at the top with GT3, GTE, or GTLM, and uh, the Delara in P2. It's going to be it should, be it should be great. I'm really looking forward to it. We did a six hour warm up on uh, Sunday, so I, I'll, I know all the tips and tricks of how to fall off the track there. Yeah, you need to drive all the cars before we start commentating on that at the weekend, and we'll be welcoming Peter Mackay to the broadcast as well uh, on that. Uh, that will be uh, as a video pop out, as will the other two. We'll have them in sound and vision on RS1 and RS3. Check radio-show.co.uk for all of the details. Thank you very much to all of our guests tonight, uh, Andy Marriott uh, as well uh, for, uh, I know that was a tough, uh, a tough chat that we had early on in the programme about Johnny Dumfries, first of that uh, 1988 Rat Pack and the winning Jaguar Silk Cup car at Le Mans uh, to, to die far, far too early. Tim, one more thing before we go. Yes, tomorrow night at 8 of course, uh, the Simcast is back and they will be talking about more additions to R Factor 2 plus some news about GTR 3. Very exciting. Ben and Lewis. Stay on Alright, Ben and Lewis, right. Stay on the channel, uh, RS1. We've got Marco Bonanomi in a special and exclusive Tyler's long one about his career. Uh, and uh, then in about 40, 45 minutes time, uh, we'll, Nick and I, along with Declan, will be back after we've taken a wee break to talk about MotoGP. And I suspect that might go on for a while. So depending on what time zone you're on, you, you might need a little pick-me-up for that one. i finish about, uh, well, well after midnight in next, the UK. Next Tuesday. Uh, thank you, Shay. Thank you, Nick. Uh, the responsible adult was Eve Hewitt and Tim Gray was our man up in London. That was Midweek Motorsport Series 16, Episode 12. Uh, the one after Sebring. And the one after the death of Johnny Dumfries. R.I.P. Johnny Brute. 
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.